wide. We... See, now there's additional pressure for a joke immediately off the bat, isn't there? There is a little bit. Um, it's fine, you know. Whatever. Balls to it. Fuck it. Talking of a joke immediately off the bat, did anybody see what happened in Jacksonville this weekend? hi <laughs> <laughs> Hello, 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 and welcome to Stiff Upper Lip Podcast, the NFL podcast by Brits. We are in partnership with Gridiron Extra, and we are returning for our third season. So yeah, on we begin with me, Ed. Me, Emma. I'm Sam. I'm Max Saito. And I'm Tom. We are bloody back, ladies and gentlemen. Week one of the NFL season is finished, and we have plenty to talk about. Um, I'm joined uh, by, of course, Ed and Max, who have kindly shown up. Sam, hello, saving hello. saving some hippies, ridden chinchillas. Emma, doing some very important things elsewhere, I believe. But. We are here to round up whatever the fuck happened this weekend. But we have nothing better to do. <laughs> yeah, we are... More time than since. <laughs> we have approximately 0% life. Anyway. How Football's the... back! How the fuck are you Football both? Football is back. I'm enjoying a nice gluten-free premium lager, and I'm ready to chat ball. That sounds good. I'm just happy that... the Vikings are top of the NFC North, bitches. <laughs> oh yeah, it's uh, it feels weird that like I wasn't expecting me to be the only one to come out of this week with a dub. But oh my god! Here we are. Oh my god! We need to yeah. unite against you because <laughs> we need to form like an organized resistance. Because every time the Steelers win a game this year, Tom is gonna be like, "Fuck you! I told you." Fuck you, doubters, haters. No, that was the me last. Is, that was like... me last year. This year, I'm just along for the ride, baby. Yeah, yeah, last... right. Yeah, right. <laughs> the problem is, Max. He's insufferable when he wins, and he's insufferable when he loses. So, <laughs> sort of. I'm insufferable <laughs> all, all the time. <laughs> Even when we tie, insufferable well, it... nature, left, right, and centre, bitches. It doesn't matter because the Steelers. You know, they didn't prove anything to me by beating the Bills, because, as well documented, the Bills are just kind of a bum team this year. Not even a top six outfit in the league, according to me. This is <laughs> literally just your take, but it's the it's the most solid week one take that we even had, because all off-season we've been, we've been talking out our asses apparently, because absolutely everything else got proven horribly wrong. Um, and I think that we start with the worst take that I've ever had. Jamar Chase can't see a football. 100 yards against the Vikings in an overtime fucking fumble off, which culminated in the Cincinnati Bengals taking a victory over the Minnesota Vikings. And, well, I got proven wrong. Jamar Chase can catch a football. can catch it for 100 yards. I got proven wrong as well, because I was secretly under the impression that we'd walk this. And I, <laughs> the problem is that I feel kind of right and kind of wrong because we made it so difficult for ourselves to win. Came back with a sign of what we could be in the fourth and then just kind of squibbed it away in classic Vikings fashion. It was, it was being a fan of the Vikings all season long in one game. It was a very... 
it, it condensed did... into a neat little five and a half hour long package. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the only thing that could have made it even better for like this Vikings microcosm would have been if there was like a few missed field goals, but like it was genuinely the last seventy years of Minnesota wrapped up into one game right there. Um, yeah, the failure to get out of the blocks early, crippling O line mistakes. A very state <laughs> What's that, Max? Getting screwed by a dodgy call. Yeah. What are you guys' views on that? Because it's contentious, but not in a way that I'm completely up in arms about it. I need to go back and watch it again, but my my opinion was, like, I thought it was harsh, but in terms of clear evidence to overturn, that wasn't really present either. Like, I think if they hadn't called it a fumble on the field, it wouldn't have been reviewed to be a fumble, so... It's just one of those, really. But the Vikings can't, I don't know, they can't blame everything on that, can they? They had plenty of other issues going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100, 112 yards of penalties. Average third down distance, third and 12. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, you can't commit that kind of sloppy mistake when you're up against a Zach Taylor outfit. It can't be done. I mean, you almost can no, yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> you almost can. You know, but... the the thing that sort of makes me laugh a little bit is like throughout all of the off season, the Vikings were like in a bit of like a sort of how disciplined is this team really going to be when they're disobeying their own head coaches' like orders to go get the vaccine left, right, and center, and then it showed with so many needless penalties and it was just again ill-disciplined to say the least and it ended up costing them in the same way that like ill-discipline costs anyone that doesn't actually seem to care about the rules of football um it's just joe burrow joe burrow was back in how do you look he was limping around at the end of the game but yeah he he was limping at the end of the game which is a bit of a worry but he was he was very Burrow-esque in that he did nothing wrong and a handful of things very well. Yeah, I I love watching Joe Burrow play football. Um, it's a shame that what happened last year, um, I hope, doesn't end up sticking with him because obviously he he looked down at his leg. He was limping around in like week one of this year, first game back after a sort of horrible leg injury. I hope that he can just get back on top of his game and today looked like it uh, well this game looked like it was going to be that exact sort of thing and then just all of a sudden it just sort of crept in a little bit with how is his injury going to actually hold up but I love watching him play I think that he's so composed in the pocket he knows when to make the right decisions and with a Zach Taylor uh, offense you're going to need to know how Um, it's just Joe Burrow plays like everyone had hoped that he would so hopefully he can uh, kick on this is the hope this the worry that i had is for, i watched this game back and after the sack where he got up feel, feeling a bit injured he then ended three drives two of them on sacks again and my worry was that it had shaken him because he looked rattled after that and so the hope is that he can sort of Get some center again before next week. Yeah, because Bengals haven't 
the Bengals have a very underrated defense. And they have done for, I think, a number of years now. They've got some nice pieces, and I think they aren't, you know, I mean, they're in a tough division. They're probably going to come last in that division, but in this kind of game where they get into a bit of a slugfest, they can win, I don't know, a handful of games, and that's more than they've done, so hopefully they can build on something. But mm-hmm. it's going to be another season of just like, dear God, please, please, football gods, protect Joe, because... Yeah. Even vulnerable again, and if he gets another serious injury, that's just like the most Bengals thing. Yep. And yeah. we hit all the salient points on this game. Yeah, we did. Um, good. I want to. I want to hit the. I want to hit the memory banks a little bit then, and go back all the way back to Thursday, for the the curtain opener of the season because we haven't discussed that. The community shield of the season. <laughs> <laughs> Except it counted for something. Yeah, well, it was a great game, actually. I think, um, you know, I think, I think it was um, it was a moral victory for the Cowboys, in a way, because Dak came out, he was slinging it, C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper looked great. You know, Zeke, well, it might be, it might be, you know, that might be Zeke now, but the defense looked improved on last year and they were hung around in the game that really you wouldn't have thought they were going to and the Bucks just well they look like a team who won the Super Bowl and then didn't make any changes and just come back firing yeah it bodes it bodes poorly for teams that the not only can the Bucks win well they can also win you know shootouts they they don't just have to steamroll teams to win like they can hang with a team with an offense like the Cowboys that's the fear <laughs> Yeah, I mean, of course, I would say uh, the Cowboys had a couple of missed kicks that if they converted, you know, they would have maybe been a different game. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it came down to the last couple of minutes, so I think the Bucks are beatable. But I think, you know, their strength is going to be in their defensive line and just Tom Brady's uncanny ability at this age just to just to get the ball out to open receivers because Godwin went off, Antonio Brown went off, Mike Evans didn't really do that much, but, you know, he's still a great receiver and the running game could be an issue. Lenny Fournette didn't have a great game. Um, Jones fumbled. Jones got me negative 0.6 on a fantasy league. Yep. Uh, Gronkowski looked... He looked... um, he looked great again, really. I mean, a proper red zone threat, and yeah, the Bucks are the Bucks are going to be up in the the race for the Super once again. There's no reason to think that they won't be. Although you, you have to consider them, you have to almost pencil them in for the NFC. Like they are, as we, as we'll discuss, a cut above the other contenders at the NFC. I think. Yeah, you can't like mitigate. Yeah, you can't expect. You can't. When we talk about this, we can't expect them to have injuries. I think they, if they had a couple of injuries in some key places, like obviously the last Sean Murphy Buntings were pretty gruesome looking on. Um, I don't think they have that much depth on the back end, but you know you've got some absolute hog mollies up front. You got Sue Vita Vea. I don't think had a he. he if you look at Vita Vea in the box score, you think he did next to nothing, but. Um, 
it's like I can Tyler. assure you that he did do something. <laughs> well, he's he the did. D-line equivalent of Darrell Revis, isn't he? Because like no one, no one threw at Darrell Revis. No one, no one goes anywhere near Vivo. Yeah, and he's the size of Revis Island, so. I actually, I yeah. thought that Conor McGovern, the um, the Cowboys' backup right guard, actually had a really good game against Vita Vea for the most part. Like there were a lot of instances of him specifically holding Vita Vea up and and not like holding like the Vikings or Bills were used to this weekend, but like actually doing a good job in pass protection for Dak. Like I thought that Conor McGovern did great, if I'm being completely honest. Um, you've basically stolen all the rest of my points, so I just sort of kept quiet. But I get to have one <laughs> one piece of analysis, and I'll bloody take it. Conor McGovern, oh, well done. O line analysis as well. That's that's peak stuff. I think this is probably the game where my opinion on the two teams changed the least during the game. Like we knew the Bucks were going to be good. If anything, I think I probably think a bit more highly of the Cowboys, but ultimately they they didn't win. Um. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. my my sort of opinions didn't change on the actual teams themselves, just on certain players. Like, for example, like I was not expecting the uh, mild resurgence of Antonio Brown, who looked very good before he came out. Like a lot of the Bucks' big plays went Antonio Brown's way, and I know that he was sort of playing against someone that I, I mean, it was Brown on the off, uh, opposite side. I can't even remember his first name, but. Um, Anthony. And Anthony Brown, yeah, which sounds a bit like the sort of like Antonio and Anthony Brown like combination that nobody was really a expecting. Hard but... fought battle between two brothers. Yeah, um, one slightly more flamboyant than the other, but <laughs> it was. I just felt like, uh, yeah, the teams themselves. I learned very little about apart from like maybe one or two players, and that was it. So. It was a good game. It was a real fun game to watch, especially on like a Thursday night, ready for the season to kick off. There were actually quite a lot of good games this weekend, um, and actually all of them seemed to be in prime time sort of spots. So, yeah, yeah. I think I think Max, do you, me and me and Tom have made our picks. Do you want to pick the next game to talk about? Um, yeah, let's talk about uh, the Broncos versus the Giants. Uh, I think it's probably the most pressing thought on everybody's mind right now. Um, I, I must admit, um, because I was watching Red Zone at this point, and I had the Dolphins-Patriots game on, on my phone, and uh, the Chiefs-Browns game on my TV, I was literally, like, I was sat between three screens, and I saw basically nothing of the Broncos-Giants game, apart from Danny Dines' fumble, and Teddy Bridgewater looking like the actual QB one in Denver. Well, yeah, those aren't the same points. <laughs> two glove Teddy had a great game. Um, the the Broncos lost Jerry Judy to a a high ankle sprain that looked a lot worse on first watch, but they've still got Cortland Sutton. They've still got you know KJ Hamler. They've still got some decent uh, receiving options there. Um, yeah, Noah Fant and Albert O as well. Like yeah, the the pass catching core is great. Uh, in terms of the running game, Melvin Gordon had a had a seventy yarder, I think it was, to close it out, which he's done a couple of times in his career. Um, and the defense looked pretty good, although I might suggest that you're not going to learn that much about them against the Giants, who kind of look a bit like oh, I don't know. The Giants look a bit sorry, don't they? They look a bit like characterless. 
I mean, is it a is it basically a runaway train? Not even a runaway train because that's exciting. It's like a ship cut adrift for Danny Dimes' experience at this point. He it's just like the Giants are just the boat floating out to sea and. It's it's just going, and you're watching it leave at about two miles an hour, but no one can do anything about it, and everyone knows it's gone. I don't have the confidence that he's going to pull it back. The ball security is still an issue. I mean, the Giants, as a whole, just don't have much juice on the offense, and they don't have much juice on the defense <laughs> or coaching. They're just is it just me? Floating along. Did Saquon not seem as exciting? No, yeah, yeah, I think he didn't really up. after the amount of injuries that he's had, it almost felt like we were getting a shell of what Saquon Barkley promised in his rookie year, and that's disappointing. That's sort of the that was the big takeaway that I really got as well. Like, especially oh, when you compare him to what Christian McCaffrey did this week. Yeah, you know, you I can... think the Broncos had a good week because if Teddy can play at that level. I don't think anyone's going to say that they're going to win the AFC, but they're they're probably a playoff team. Possibly. They would be if they were in the NFC. They have the oh, quality yeah. of a playoff team. They'd be like um, a three seed if they were in the NFC. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But at the moment, they might be a three seed in their own division. Um, it's it's going to be a, a long year for the Giants, and I hope that the Maras aren't too slow to react. Like... If if this year's going to be as devoid of inspiration as that, then it might even be time to I don't know get Sam Howell and start again. Again, we'll see. Sounds good. Um, I have nothing else to add on this. Ed, anything else? I'm spent on my. I'm spent <laughs> on this because part of me does want to talk about Daniel Jones some more, but I'm sure that the next time we have Sam, we'll have opportunities. We'll yeah. <laughs> it's almost like you have to save your your giants takes specifically for when the G Man himself shows up. So let's... I was gonna, but a I was gonna ask who the backup is in New York, but I remembered and it didn't make me feel better. Who is it? What if we, we Mike, Mike Lennon. Lennon. Oh. <laughs> oh Next game. Next game. Uh I'm gonna I'm gonna go slightly left field here. I'm gonna talk Jets uh Jets Panthers just here right now while we're talking about like QBs that um, the ship has sailed on. Um, Sam Darnold looked at very least about as competent as people were hoping he would in the post-Gase world. Which to me is a huge, huge renaissance of his career. Because he did not look good last year. He didn't look good in any year that Adam Gase was his quarterback. Uh, was his head coach, sorry. He now gets into Carolina. Gets in a Matt Rule team. Gets Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. Has a running back that he can actually lean on. And Sam Darnold looked competent. It wasn't the most enthralling game, but... The Sam Darnold deep pass to Robbie Anderson was a moment of excitement that Jets fans will rue the day of the fact that it happened against them in week one of the first Sam Darnoldless game for the Jets. And I wouldn't say that Zach Wilson looked bad or anything like 
it's not like either of the teams they played. Pains, didn't yeah, they? it's yeah. like it's not like either of the teams looked like they were going to be world beaters or cannon fodder. It was like both of them had growing pains, but like Sam Darnold getting a little bit of redemption against his ex team just felt a little bit, just like a little bit of a nice story to me. Um, CMC obviously coming back from injury and dropping a CMC level day. Uh, he can only go up from here as well. Like, he is one of the huge superstar running backs. And everyone knows it because he's always drafted first overall by literally anyone in any fantasy league. But, um, yeah, it's just a joy to watch CMC. Uh, and this game was a little bit more fun than I was expecting it to be. I would yeah, have pulled I'm... off. Oh, go ahead, Ed. No, you see. I was going to say, I want to hold off on the Darnold thing because I think with the offensive weapons that he has there, I think, for example, Teddy, if Teddy was still there, he probably would have put up 35 in this game. You know, the way that CMC was playing off the back of that, he'll carry, he would carry any, he would carry Bryce Petty to a victory over the Jets last, last weekend. I mean, I'm happy for him because he, he got that win and, you know, it's a nice moment, but I just think if he's forced to do a little bit more, uh, I'm I'm a little unconvinced. I kind of think we saw who Sam Darnold was the last few years, but I mean I'm more than willing to be proved wrong on that. And another thing, um, Zach Wilson was pretty gun shy in the first half, um, but he came out singing it a bit more in the second half um, because it's the Jets. Even on his first career touchdown pass, something bad had to happen. Um, Mackay Becton, I think, um, is he got an injury, but it wasn't as serious as as feared i read something like he's gonna have keyhole surgery and then be back in like six weeks which is kind of mental um i think he's got an, maybe an mcl injury but yeah even for the even with the <laughs> even when something goes well for the jets it has to have a sting in the tail so mckay beckton uh dislocated his kneecap which um Ooh. It's a minimum. Yeah, it's a minimum yeah. of four to six weeks. Uh, obviously, like you get the most medical, uh, well, like the most professional medical attention that you can get in the NFL. So, speaking from my own experience, I wouldn't have been able to get back onto a football field within four to six weeks, especially playing O line, where your entire that job knee. is to be pushed backwards. Like that's the movement that can cause these sorts of issues. Um, that knee has a lot of load on it as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Like with Patrick Mahomes, it felt like a little bit different because obviously he can he can protect himself a little bit more. He can sort of stand in the shotgun, which is what the Chiefs basically did when he was there. He didn't. I don't think he took very many like actual dropbacks. He was just thrown out of the shotgun. Um, Whereas someone's going to be trying to push Mackay Beckton off balance every yeah. single play he's in the game for. Yeah. yeah, and I feel like that's the sort of thing that you need to take a lot more care, uh, like caution with. So hopefully Mackay Beckton's all right, um, but I wouldn't rush him back anytime soon. That is going to be a rough one. Yeah, but did, I don't know. Didn't learn much from this game to be honest about either team. I think I I learned something. My biggest takeaway from this team was how good Joe Brady is going to be as an OC in the NFL. Yep. Like, the amount of drives where they were getting short fields on second and third. Mm. Like, 
in terms of the the building blocks of how to be successful as an offense in the NFL, it's giving yourself short fields on second and third. Yeah, but when you have a run game with Christian McCaffrey, who can pick you up six or seven yards on first down, it's going to do you a world of good. I think I do agree with you that Joe Brady's talented, but it's also a bit like saying like, oh, Eric Bieniemy's the best OC in the league. That might be true, but he does also have Mahomes, Hill, and Kelsey, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's not going to hurt to have that kind of weapon. And I think the Panthers have great receiving depth. They've got who you might say is the best running back in the league. Um, there's a lot of pressure on Donald because they could have gone and got a, a guy this summer. So we'll have to see how that goes. I suppose if it doesn't go well, then someone can walk into... I don't know. How about Andy Dalton? Andy Dalton could walk into a nice old scenario in Carolina. So we'll see how it goes. Um, No. I'm going to... I'm with Tom on this one. Yeah, how about Nick Foles? I don't want to see any of the Bears quarterbacks from last season taking on like this Panthers team with Joe Brady as the OC. Cause How about Aaron Rodgers? I don't... Maybe, <laughs> I guess, but... Uh... The one we're not saying is Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Oh, the obvious answer would have genuinely been for like Denver or Carolina to go and trade for Deshaun Watson, but we are staring well clear of that. Did you did you read the piece? Apparently, the the Panthers put together an enormous trade proposal for Matt Stafford before he went to the Rams. I did, yeah. I did see and that. They, yeah, they ended up going from Stafford to Donald, which is what I'm thinking. There's a lot of pressure on Donald because Panthers fans otherwise are going to be thinking that the grass is greener on the other side. Yeah, I think that unless like Sam Donald goes and absolutely like blitzes it, I think that they should still be thinking like. Oh, the grass is greener on the other side because I mean, yeah, there's going to be guys that will be like coming through the draft. There's going to be guys that are going to be hitting the market this year. I think realistically, the Panthers should be moving on from Sam Darnold unless he has like a Ryan Tannehill level resurgence, which I don't, I don't see being anywhere near that level. But like him being at least competent enough to back up someone in the league would be like a good next step for Sam Darnold. Specifically for me, because it'd mean that he wouldn't be out of the league by 2025. Um, and uh, I would uh, not lose 20 quid. So... This <laughs> this offense is too damn good for mediocre quarterback play. Carolina, hear my plea. Get someone good in there. So just before we move on, what's the name of the guy... What's the name of the UNC quarterback, Max? Is it, Sam Howell. Is it... Sam Howell, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, he's going to stick around in the Carolinas. I think he might have the opportunity. It depends on how well they do in the NF- NFC South. Mm. We'll see. I think um, in the NFC South, they're probably not going to be first, obviously, but they're probably not going to be last either, no. uh, based on the performance of some other teams that we can talk about in a bit. Go on, Ed. Well, the next game that I want to discuss, the frantic finish at Ford Field between um, San Francisco and Detroit. That okay. game was weird. It was like a fever dream. Like, in in terms of microcosms of everything we know about teams, I, d- I don't know. I struggle, I struggle to process it, because I was just like, oh, Detroit are Detroiting again, and they're down by 33 points. Oh, wait, no. They're back in it. Yeah, there was a point where... Um, the, the thing with 
this game is the comeback was in process, but you kind of had the feeling that it's like as soon as you actually rationalize to yourself, there's a chance they might come back from this. You had kind of had the feeling that the comeback was going to break down at that exact moment. Yeah, it went a little bit longer than that when they when they got the Debo fumble. That was the moment when it was like, oh man, (laughs) it's like not crazy to think that this is going to happen, but it did flame out. I think they did they did well to get back to that point, but is (laughs) I don't know, Jared Goff um, down big. That seems like the kind of opportunity where he's going to put up some big digits but they got in they got themselves into that hole um they got bullied jeff okuda to me had like the worst sunday of anyone he had an abysmal performance got chewed out by his coach who i think reportedly does tend to shower guys a lot so maybe it's not that much but his performance on the field was terrible and then he got a ruptured achilles so that's about as bad as it can get for jeff who was the third overall pick, so we'll monitor that. Panay Sewell, who was the... Was he the fifth overall pick this year? Sixth. Sixth or seventh. Sixth. Yeah, Sixth he was seven, moved yeah. to left tackle with um, Taylor Decker out, and he had a really good game by all accounts, so... It turns out that when you draft a guy to play left tackle, and then you try putting him at right tackle all preseason, and he doesn't look very good, just move him back to left tackle, and he'll actually be alright again. Like... I don't, I don't understand, why, I don't understand why they sense. had to move him in the first place. Taylor Deck is an established, decent left tackle, and Panay Sewell just has like a massive toolbox of physicality. So, in theory, you could move him to uh, right tackle and and see dividends, but I it don't didn't, know. It didn't Maybe... work for him in, in preseason, though. That's my point, is like... It wasn't a good move on reflection because the moment that they put him back at left tackle, he looked like he should be starting in the league, which is good. That's what we we'll wanted out of him. It's great. He, he did hold out last year, so I'm not willing to write off the experiment just yet. But it's, yeah, it's he's a got, great he's problem to have. Got a as a left tackle, if if it doesn't work out at right tackle, yeah, it's a great a great problem to have to have two starting caliber left tackles on the roster. I what was... did we see from? Uh... Oh, what you say, Tom? I was going to say that I will say that the Lions O line is possibly their most reasonably strong position, apart from like starting tight end, maybe starting running back. Like that's that's it. Like their O line is a strength. You've got like Frank Ragnow at center. Got two like good starting left tackles that you could potentially kick either of them out to right tackle, and it'd it'd work. Um, I don't know who's playing at guard for them, but even still, like three out of five pieces is is enough to make up a fundamentally solid O line. So they're they're great offensively. I mean, on the offensive line, yeah. Like you you saw that with the 49ers not getting a lot of pressure despite the front that they have. Yeah. If you can if you can give Jared Goff time, he can make the throws. I think it's just when he's under pressure, he tends to. You know he he doesn't see he doesn't see the options down the field. But when you can let him stand back there like the California kid, uh, yeah, he can pick he can make some decent throws. I mean, the one that he threw in the end zone, I can't remember if it was the touchdown or the two point conversion, but that was a brilliant throw mm. and a the great two point conversion. Yeah, the two well, point yeah. conversion was the one. It was a beautiful throw. Well, the best. Sure of decent it. receivers. Cephas looks Cephas looks like a, a very good receiver, and obviously they drafted. Amon Ross St. Brown, so 
I don't know. Maybe the Detroit passing attack were maybe a bit low on it, and DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams had had pretty good games as well. I, the only thing is, is I'm I'm a bit I'm a bit cautious to like start hyping up them because they came back because I don't want to get caught in the same trap as like we almost did with like last year's Bears where they'd be losing by like twenty five to three and then they'd bring it back with two touchdowns and garbage time and everyone be like oh but they made it a one score game and it's like they didn't. It was garbage time, it's, and it was it it's was Falcons-y, isn't it? Yeah, it it's is so Falcons-y. very like Falconsy or like uh, Eagles a uh, uh, a couple of years ago when like Carson Wentz wasn't good and but, he, he would bring games back, and it was like oh, come on, man. but it was still fun. It was exciting. And you yeah, had to give yeah. Them that much, and the Lions historically haven't been fun or exciting. So <laughs> if they can if they can play games like that all year, they will they'll win me over a bit. On the Niners yeah. side, I thought Jimmy Garoppolo came in and fumbled immediately, which was pretty funny. And then Trey Lance threw a touchdown, and you're starting to think like, "Oh man, is this how's this going to go?" But then they, they seem... dominated really the rest of the way. And Debo Samuel, outside of that fumble, had a brilliant game. Ayuk mm. didn't barely even play; like they were being cautious with him. Kill had a decent game. The Niners have room to expand; like their offense wasn't at. It wasn't firing at full capacity. I think Carl Shanahan was leaving a few tricks up his sleeve. Mm. They lost Jason so. Verrett, which hurts. The ultimate glass cannon, as we said, I think only last week. Um, They've got Drake Kirkpatrick in for a for a workout, but that's not that that's gonna hurt. They haven't obviously got Sherman. Uh, they haven't got Witherspoon anymore, so that could be a problem. That's how you end up giving up those touchdowns like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Max. Oh, I was just saying, uh, Raheem Mostert got hurt as well, but they brought in some guy I've never heard of in my life, and he went off for over a hundred yards. So, Niners gonna Niner. Um, I mean, Raheem well, Mostert well, has torn his ACL as well, just to sort of offer a is little it a bit more. ACL? It's a torn ACL, so he's gonna miss the rest of the season. Um, that's that's tough because, yeah, he's 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 always shown potential but he's yeah, the he perfect Shanahan back though he's like he's rapid and pretty much it but Kyle Shanahan will draw up like great running plays for whoever's back there so like yeah John Michael need... Hastings there yeah you just need to be able yeah, to Matt, actually Matt run Riddle and you'll be, be fine before you know it right <laughs> yeah but, the thing um, about the Shanahan scheme is you don't need like a running back with good vision to be successful. Like in a lot of, especially power, like the running back needs to have good vision to spot the holes. It's, but in a Shanahan system, you just go wide until you see a big enough gap you can drop back through. Yeah, it's actually it's funny because like Leonard Fournette's vision is the worst aspect of Leonard Fournette's actual play. So he's not quick either, is he? Really? Well, he's not quick, but like as a goal line back, maybe. Yeah, I think um I don't know. I think the the forty ers should feel although it was much closer than it should have been, I think they'll feel confident. I mean those those two injuries, they're maybe gonna get some PTSD, you know, it's, it could happen again, but no, plenty more to come from the forty ers Is there plenty more to come from the Lions? I guess we'll find out. Um the game I wanted to talk about was the Jaguars dis- uh, getting destroyed down in Houston um, by Ty God and the boys. 
Danny Amendola. The, the weirdest sight for me, even weirder than like AJ Green in the Cardinals uniform was pretty weird. JJ Watt in the Cardinals uniform was weird. Danny Amendola wearing 89 on the pay, on the Texans, that white kit was just, I was like, what, what is going on here? This is like <laughs> so Texas. But I'm, I don't want to say I'm happy for the Texans because I'm fuck them, but I'm happy for like Tyrod. I'm quite happy for David Cully as well because, you know, those guys are just trying to do their job. And um, yeah. I think despite the fact they've basically just got a bunch of league average dudes, that's still better than what Jacksonville were apparently working with. Trevor Lawrence, um, three touchdowns, three picks. Didn't really look like he was quite up to speed, I would say. Um, and, I don't know, defensively, obviously, big big problems for the Jags. Uh, Urban Meyer will be the USC coach by the end of the season. So, pencil that one in. Why? My, my, main my main takeaway from the Jags was precisely what I said in the offseason, which is the offense looked so vanilla. Mm-hmm. Like, it was weirdly vanilla. It was like slant, swing pass, short run, slant, swing pass, swing pass again. Like, that. And guys, maybe it's because they haven't got the personnel, frankly. But, like. Maybe they're just hoping. Maybe they're just hoping that they can just out execute teams, but not the way they played. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this felt like if you were going to get a layup for both of these teams, it would be this game. Like, Texans fans were confident that they wouldn't be the worst team in the league because they'd get to play the Jags. Jags fans were confident that they wouldn't be the worst team in the league because they get to play the Texans. Both of them are basically in the middle of, like, the world's weirdest rebuild where they've decided to blow everything up but with, like, very little end game in sight either. It just... And and still the Jags got absolutely curb stomped by a team made up of, like Mike says, like at best league average players. Like nobody's gonna say that Tarod Taylor should be starting quarterback for really any franchise that isn't in a big rebuild. But he I mean, went... you say that, but you... <laughs> the only reason he doesn't have a start he didn't have a starting job to Justin Herbert is because a doctor punctured his lung. But I mean in fairness, like if he wasn't gonna get the job taken off him last year he was definitely going to get it taken off him this year like Terod Taylor was not going to be the starting quarterback for the for the Chargers two years in a row I saw enough of Terod Taylor in the Chargers in week one of last year Justin Herbert would have beaten him out anyway but against this Jags team which looked devoid of ideas by like the end of the first quarter it was it, it was frankly it was embarrassing um and I mean it's it's pretty common now that Jags fans should be embarrassed about being Jags fans but this one felt like a hard blow if I was Houston though I wouldn't get carried away I wouldn't go and for example I wouldn't go and tweet something like not satisfied with 1-0 just because that one could backfire they're not really (laughs) they're not really trying to win are they Houston so we'll see how that goes but if I'm if I'm if, if I'm a Jags fan or in any way connected to the Jags uh oh! <laughs> uh oh! <laughs> yeah. Is it gonna happen? Uh, uh, is the worst case scenario with Urban Meyer gonna be realised here? Because players don't seem too happy with him, and if they're getting stomped by teams who are considered to be the worst in the league, it it could go very, very downhill very quickly, like France at a World Cup downhill, <laughs> <laughs> or France at Euros downhill. Yeah, well, that's when we get 
I don't know, Trevor Lawrence's mum <laughs> shouting at Andrew Norwell's mum in the stands and it all gets... <laughs> oh, God. All right. Next game that I want to talk about, because we've just mentioned one guy that in the off-season we speculated would be under fire before the end of the season. Um, I want to talk about the other guy, Nick Sirianni and the Philadelphia Eagles came away with a victory over the Atlanta Falcons in what was actually a very fun game to watch as well. You know, Tom, just to stop you there for a second, can you think of anyone else who played well, had a good performance in this game, who might have come under fire from any members of this podcast? Oh, yeah, I can, yeah. Um, (laughs) Resident quarterback hater Ed uh, Ed Wilkins uh, absolutely despises Jalen Hurts. all quarterbacks. Yeah. Absolutely despises Joyland. Everyone Hurts. should be running out of the single wing. <laughs> <laughs> Wildcats only. But Jalen well, I mean, Hurts that's played well. Hurts fine. Wildcats can't be broken. I look, look. Name a Falcons defensive player that they, isn't great. <laughs> <laughs> like it's all very well and good, but like the Eagles all face sterner tests elsewhere. Jalen Hurts did play well. Not in that I'm division, not gonna, they won't. I'm not going <laughs> to, like, I'm not, I'm not going to, I don't know, disparage Justin Hurts. Yeah, Jalen Hurts, because he had a good game. I'm not, I'm not sold on him after one game where he played well. Miles Sanders had a great game. I, I another another player who I fundamentally don't like, so it's weird that the Eagles <laughs> won it by so much. He had some pop. The Falcons did, uh, not to allude to this too much yet, but the Falcons kind of had the thing that the Packers did where like, a, there were a couple of key junctures in the game where they were theoretically still in it, and then just like the worst case scenario unfolded, and they just lay down, and they just got out of hand really quickly. Yeah, it felt like, like uh, the Falcons find ways to lose when they should be looking for ways to win. It wasn't even it wasn't even that for me. Like last year they lost some games in spectacular fashion. Like that Cowboys one, you know, was the the peak of it, but they had a real run of losing oh, the, games. But the Lions one for me was the peak of it. They were <laughs> they were still coming out swinging in that six points. They just laid like it was so disappointing for what I was hoping from this Falcons offense. Like just and it's not just because I have Kyle Pitts on like all of my fantasy teams and started Matt Ryan in one. Although that does play a part, it, it just they just didn't look as explosive. You kind of want to see them. You kind of want to see Falcons like players like Calvin Ridley like running free in the open field, and that just didn't happen. Like, mm-hmm. is the Eagles' defense the reason why? Probably not. Maybe, but honest. probably not. Yeah. So a lot to work on down there, Arthur Smith. The, um, the only bit about the Eagles' defense that I do want to sort of cover on because I think that that was a factor is Brandon Graham for me had an absolutely barnstorming day in contributing to that um, that win I just he when he is healthy and when he is actually motivated to play is phenomenal as a uh, as a D lineman in this league it's just trying to get him to stay on the field and stay interested is is weirdly hard for the Eagles, and it has been under Doug Peterson, that is. He is a knucklehead. But when he's actually determined to go out and actually try and win a football game, he can take over on that defence. So, 
Good job, Brandon Graham. Give the Super Bowl sack fumble. Yeah, like, exactly. He's my... a bit of a dirty player. As much. I don't really like Brandon Graham. <laughs> he had a, he had some dirty plays against the Packers. How did I, JJ um... Ortega Whiteside do in this game? Sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. I, we all needed JJ Ortega Whiteside taking on. I presume his stat line was zero for zero, but I want to. Yeah. Tom, do you? Stall for. I, w- I will make my point while you look. How does that sound? Is is there a team that has invested more and got less out of the O line in recent years than the Falcons? Mm. Like, do you remember a, a couple of years ago where they took back to back O linemen in the first round? Yeah, they took like a guard and a tackle, didn't they? Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry, like oh, those those household names. The ch- the Chargers had a couple that didn't go well. The Cowboys have had a couple that didn't really work out, but yeah, I don't know. Like like Tom said, Conor McGovern coming through. Yeah, the Falcons probably stand alone as just like they keep throwing resources at it and they keep missing. So I don't know. They they need to address that. They need to address the running game. I mean, who's even the running back in Atlanta now? Uh, it's Mike, Mike Davis. Davis. Who actually well, had a very good year last year in, in Carolina. But Yeah, but if they thought he was gonna be the single solution for their running game, that's that is a miss cue. <laughs> I mean like they've they've just been trying to like they had Devonta Freeman after the injury, Ito Smith, they had Brian Hill. I mean none of these guys are the guy, are they? And they need they need an explosive running back to me. If they can get an explosive running back, it opens up a lot more for them. But until then, you know, Arthur Smith, guess what? You don't have Derek Henry anymore. So, I mean, JJ, I think... Can't... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I'm really, really keen to hear this. JJ, I think a Whiteside watch. His stats from the last game, zero for zero for zero. Questionable. But defensively, he had one assisted tackle, which came on special <laughs> teams. Well, there you go. I mean, <laughs> luckily, my prediction that he would get 700 receiving yards it's a 17 game season, so he's got one game where he doesn't. It's not necessary. Once the inj- once the injuries start kicking in for the Eagles, <laughs> oh. we'll we'll have this discussion again when JJ Ortega Whiteside is the only dude there. He'll still be playing special teams if he's the last man there. Yeah, well, that's just the kind of workhorse he is. They will bring Travis Fulgham back if they need specifically to play ahead of JJ Ortega Whiteside. They'd rather put out Greg Ward in two leg casts than JJ, I think, a white side. <laughs> and I'm sure that we will see that at some point. Yep. Right okay. then. Who's who's it's, who's pick is yours, it? It's you. No, I is picked, it me? I picked the Eagles Falcons. Of course you did, yeah. Um I wasn't prepared for this. Cardinals, Tennessee is where I want to go. Fuck me, didn't Calamari look good? Yep. He sure did. I mean, he made some plays that, like, I mean, Lamar had a great throw last night, um, which we can talk about later. But, like, Kyler Murray did that, like, three or four times, right? Yeah. The, the guy was just scrambling around, making great throws, making an absolute fool out of the Titans' defense. DeAndre Hopkins just looked like DeAndre Hopkins. No concerns there. Um, what a catch, by the way. Just 
just to quickly yeah. interject about DeAndre Hopkins, the one at the back of the end zone where he somehow manages to yeah. contort his body and while he's sort of leaning out of bounds, gets both feet down in a weird-ass angle. It almost looked like he sort of broke his body in half and contorted specifically to yeah. make that catch. It was, br- it was and beautiful. And it works well. When you've got someone who can catch anything, as long as Kyler can escape and put a catchable ball up for Hopkins... They're absolutely cooking with gas. And on the defensive side, Chandler Jones, five sacks to start the season. Five, five sacks. Two forced fumbles. I mean, he he took Taylor One out of the game so badly that Taylor One posted a thank you to him on Twitter for helping him to get better. That you don't see every day, right? There was I mean on the other side, on the other side, JJ Watt had a critical stop on a fourth and one. Like there was so much to be excited about, on te- uh, sorry, for Arizona on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. Can Kyler I... Number one on MVP watch right now. Do you know what fascinates me about Kyler? And it's it's the only other person I've ever seen do this is Russell Wilson. Is it but... he has the biggest helmet in the world and the tiniest body? <laughs> no, although that does, he looks like the Bic Man. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's kind of the way that his throwing action is like so much of a heave. And he's heaving and he's heaving, and then the second it leaves his hand, it's like a beautiful rainbow. Uh, there, it's not there's, like a... There's one play in particular that I'm thinking of, and it's the uh, Christian Kirk touchdown, yeah. where I think he's like 20 yards off the line of, uh, off the goal line. And Kyler Murray, I think that the Titans just decide to rush basically everyone, bar like a couple guys in man coverage. And Kyler Murray drops about five yards back, is basically sprinting backwards, falling to the turf, it looks like, and he still uncorks this wild action that leads to an absolute beautiful throw that lands in the bucket. Perfect. It's, yeah, his his motion is so, like, ridiculous. Like, he's heaving it, and then it just floats. Yeah. Well, in the Hail Mary of last year, um, he looked like he was sort of it looked like it wasn't even going to make it to the 20-yard line because of just how wild it was, or like it was going to fly out of bounds, and all of a sudden it's right in the one spot that DeAndre Hopkins can pull it from. It's truly impressive, and I think that Kyler Murray taking this like third-year uh, leap is ridiculous. I think that he already was great last year. They will be right up there in the NFC West. We'll How see. good is the standard of quarterbacking in the NFL right now? Beautiful. Absolutely brilliant. There's like three teams that I can picture that have not got like an established guy for at least this year. And they already just drafted someone to take over for next year. So, like I mean, when you let black people do it, the results are pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and Arizona of all places as well. Like the only state that didn't want to adopt, <laughs> <laughs> the only state that, that didn't want to adopt MLK Day, I think um, they don't deserve them. But uh, we'll we'll have to see with Kyler because, um, yeah, Kyler was came out the gate on fire last year, but he's he is. I mean, we joke about it, but size in the NFL is a factor if you're going to get hit a lot. And he runs around and he extends plays. But if he does get hurt, I mean, he closed out the end of last season and they looked pretty uninspired. So we'll see. All the pieces are there. And if he can stay healthy, 
you know, the sky's the limit for this Cardinals team. I mean, on the other side, if the Titans are going to get the some product of sweet FA from Julio Jones and Derek Henry every week, they do not stand a chance. Uh, AJ well, Brown had a, a, a nice play in this game, but like they need Henry and they need Julio to do something, anything to to stay in floating games. They just looked like they got punched in the mouth, basically. Like they came out week one, got punched in the mouth, and they didn't have a reply. Let me peel back the curtain a little bit for for fantasy football, right? Because in one of my teams, I started Matt Ryan, and in the other team, I started Derek Henry. Oh, good. Yeah, I feel like I've done well. What was I'm just trying to find Derek Henry's stat line now. I think I lost to Sam by close to sixty points. <laughs> Derek, Derek Henry had seventeen line. carries, fifty-eight yards, an average of three point four a carry. His longest was I mean, nineteen. He, In the, go, yeah, going well, into the third quarter, he had nine yards. Yeah. So he was 17 for 54 and his longest was 19. So the other 16 carries went for 35. That's uh, not... Uh, uh, 58 yards, not 54. But yeah, regardless, the point is there. It's bad. 16 carries under under 40 yards, right? So yeah, I think the Titans are going to have to go back to the drawing board. Um, and just... It's a... It's a it's a bury the ball game, right? You just like... We got to forget that that ever happened. Because... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Jack Rabbit, which is his official name now, right? <laughs> Jack Rabbit Jenkins just got brutalized <laughs> over and over and over again. I mean, they're not going to have to put up with Kyler running around like a mentalist and Hopkins catching anything within a fifty-three foot radius of him every week. But no, they they're going to have to deal with. They probably had a top, like, second or third most disappointing opener of anyone. Mm-hmm. I am not looking forward to going to State Farm in a week's time. They're going to be angry. Oh, no, not... Oh, the car, oh, <laughs> they're not even going to be angry. They're going to be just, like, cold and emotionless. Just... <laughs> Who's the Vikings CB1 right now? Uh, Pat Pete. Oh, the Pat Pete revenge game. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Okay. Max? Oh man, I think I'm almost I'm close to running out of diver like diversions. Um I don't think we can at this point, Max. There must have been a game that no one watched, right? There was the Seahawks oh, at Colts. Chargers Washington. Oh. Yeah. Chargers Washington. Uh I did want to talk about because like like the only non game highlight video I watch week on week is normally the Justin Herbert all throws tape. Just because, like, I mean, he played pretty well to start this game, but, like, to close it out, he hit a couple of big plays to Mike Williams, Jalen Guyton had one, and he just looked, um, he just looked like he was going to pick up where he left off, and when you're going into your second year, I mean, like, look what happened to Baker Mayfield, you know, uh, he's trying to learn a new offense, but the talent is clearly still there. And that's good news. Austin Eckler was healthy. He had a decent enough game. They even got some contribution out of Jared Cook, who's 53 now, I think. <laughs> um, and Washington, I think, are still going to be one of the better defences in the league this year. So yeah. it's the kind of game that the Chargers would have lost historically, definitely. Um, and it's a good way to start the season. For uh, Washington, obviously, 
yeah, Fitzpatrick is out with a hip injury, which are always, you know, some of like the most annoying injuries to come back from. Say the Heineken made some okay plays. We'll see. The Do you know what I think about Justin Herbert? Sorry, Tom, do you wanna I was I was just gonna quickly before we like fully carry on with Herbert is um just to mention like the Washington offense because I can tell I can tell that we're probably not gonna touch upon them for very much. Um <laughs> Terry McLaurin, that one catch that he made that was out of this world where he sort of basically does a two seventy and somehow manages to haul it in through it was like something that you'd get angry at in Madden if like the opposing team caught that ball. And it just happened yeah, when they to be just, like, not looking at just yeah, like ridiculous. Honestly, I love watching wide receivers at the peak of their game, and Terry McLaurin is a guy that, um, in a similar to how Allen Robinson hasn't had like a good quarterback, um, and I'm scared that he's going to end up wasting his career because no quarterback um, until that recently got fixed. Um, he could have been in Green Bay last year. But, he chose not to. Yeah, but um, Terry McLaurin is now going to have Tyler Heineke throwing him the ball. Um, he is far too good for whatever Washington have been offering up as uh, his sort of signal caller. I can definitely see Washington sending like a conditional six to the Bears for Nick Foles. And that's just, that would just be a sad state of affairs for everyone involved. I mean, that doesn't that just sound like doesn't that just sound like it's gonna be like mid November and it's gonna be raining um rainwater and not sewage pipe leakage in Washington and um like Nick Foles is just gonna be stood there on the sideline like soaked, just like totally de- de- dejected. Yeah, I can see I can it so clearly. It. Yeah. That's a vivid sight. Yeah. The weirdest thing is that Terry McLaurin is going to go down as one of like the great late round draft picks. In the uh, Washington do that thing that the Raiders kind of do in that they kind of flub their lines early and then get value late. But then I suppose they've got Chase Young and they've got Deron Payne and all these guys. Maybe they drafted early. Maybe well, I'm being a little bit too harsh. I mean, considering that the uh, Washington do have Montez Sweat and Chase Young. The Chargers did quite a quite a good job of keeping Justin Herbert clean, um, and that's very much key. If they can get some improved line play, then they'll be cooking with gas. And defensively, they got a good game, got a good game out of Derwin James, which was good to see. Like considering the injuries he's had, it it, it didn't really seem like he was struggling to reacclimatize at all. So yeah, that's promising, and and the Chargers got off to a good start i mean again i'm getting that feeling that's like when when is it gonna happen <laughs> like when is there gonna be like four torn acls in one game for the Chargers? but mm. until that time yeah the sun is shining um down on not dignity health sports park anymore i suppose in, in sofi stadium and um they've got to be considered an, an afc contender for me i'd agree i i I'd agree. I'd firmly agree yeah um, if they can keep healthy, this Chargers team should go deep. So, and it's it's good for me because I've been supporting them for years now. So, I'm pleased to hear I'm pleased to hear it, and I'm pleased to see it. <laughs> They've been my favorite team for three years. Your favorite team? Yeah, Ed, you must have missed this. I'm no longer I'm I'm a Chargers fan now, so we yeah. can redress the balance of there being too many NFC North fans. Right. Okay. 
Um, okay. Do we want to do we want to quickly lightning round a game? Like, are there any games that we want to quickly? Yeah, how about the pack versus the sink? No, no. Um, <laughs> I want to. I want to quickly just get. Um, I want to get Seahawks at Colts out of the way because outside of a few Russell Wilson like great deep passes and I mean Wentz did look better than he was last year for Philly but they're going to need more out of the receivers to actually make that stick. Um, it was basically how everyone sort of saw the Seahawks Colts game going. Some absolute peaches from Wilson to Lockett. Some pretty solid play elsewhere from everyone else nothing else really to talk about i feel i feel sort of rough skipping over a colts game because i do like the colts but like i'd learned absolutely nothing from this yeah in that same vein i think i kind of want to i kind of want to move quickly past the browns chiefs game really browns chiefs was a fantastic game i guess we can cover it in more detail then I mean, if you want to, if you want to blow past it, then feel free. Or we can do it well, like I'm slightly just... quick, uh, quicker. Because I see what you mean about like not learning absolutely anything about these teams. Yeah, the Chiefs are going to be good. The Browns are going to be good. Kevin Stefanski has brought something really special in terms of his play calling to Cleveland. Like that's something that often goes under the radar. There with Spanbacker, they don't really have a weakness now. Mm-hmm. Except maybe Tom might be loving this, but except maybe at the QB position, but I, Baker played all right until the end. I've been sort of um, in the exact same position as the Browns would be a Super Bowl team if their quarterback was much more reliable, and it's it's what bugs me most about Baker Mayfield more than anything because the Browns are an entertaining football team and I don't really dislike any of the players really they are like fun to watch they have pieces left right and center they have the best o-line or one of the best o-lines in football phenomenal defense now that like you say they've filled their sort of linebacking core if there is anything that's going to hold them back, it's Baker Mayfield. I mean, coaching. It's, you can't... Unfair, it's unfair to blame that loss on Baker Mayfield. No, I'm not saying that Obviously you can he blame had the it on. Interception. He had the interception to end the game, right? But before that, um, he had one underthrow, underthrown pass on the sideline. But before that, he was absolutely clinical. And the only reason that they were in that desperation situation at the end was because they got some uncharacteristic mistakes. You know, they had the Nick Chubb fumble. Obviously, the blown punt from the Scottish Jamie Gillen. <laughs> yeah. And that's just what put them down. And the Chiefs, as they so often do, just mercilessly punish them for that. Yeah, the only... you have the, the it's like you make one mistake against the Chiefs and then they hit a seventy yard pass for a touchdown to start kill and it's like, oh, now we're losing. <laughs> the only the only <laughs> thing like... that like because wide receiver wise and like uh, tight end wise, I thought that Austin Hooper played well. I thought that Harrison Bryant played well. David and Joku had a good game. Jarvis Landry looked like a good player. They had Young like man th- sports had a big touchdown. They had a they had a great opportunity to really rub it in against the Chiefs, whose secondary was missing Tyrion Matthew. They were missing uh, Frank Clark on the D line, which is one of their only pass rushes that they have that I would say are actually like 
particularly any good. I wouldn't say that anyone in the Chiefs secondary uh, in that game played well, but Charvarius Ward got taken out back. He got walked up. The the Jerry Sneed played okay, but Charvarius Ward had a tough game. But it's it would be it would be hard to judge the Browns because they were playing the Chiefs in Arrowhead week one. You know Andy Reid brings us teams but, prepared. But the thing is, is that they were winning like comfortably. And I feel like they could have carried on think, that momentum. I don't think you can. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you can be think, winning comfortably against the Chiefs. It's like it's like the prime, like Golden State Warriors, right? Like in the Splash Bros era, they would just go into a quarter level and then they would outscore their opponents in the quarter by twenty four, and that'd be it, right? They just they they'll just flick on the switch and they score with devastating quickness, and it's just game over. So although I agree that the Browns definitely bottled it, like they probably should have won. They weren't the first team, and they weren't the last team, and it wasn't, you know, I think the Chiefs, it kind of induced bottle jobs, if 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 you understand what I'm saying. Like, yeah, ultimately the Browns, if they executed, they would have won, but a lot of teams struggle with execution against the Chiefs for, for whatever reason. It's like, it's like the prime Patriots, right? Teams just do inexplicable mistakes against them, and you get fed up, and you want it to stop happening. <laughs> I still, it is, it is pretty much only you that's fed up with the Chiefs, Max. I will say that. Yeah, really I, enjoy, I thoroughly enjoy watching the Chiefs. I think that my only, um, I'm only ever so slightly fed up with the Chiefs being in the Super Bowl, but that's it. Like, I just want <laughs> someone else from the AFC to get there. Apart from that, well, I'm course, fine with them. Of course, I'm fed up with the Chiefs. I'm a Chargers fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're a Chargers fan, you won't mind talking. Talking like what? Saints. Oh yeah. Well, unfortunately, my team, the Green Bay Packers, lost to the Jacksonville Saints on Sunday. Um, and you know, there's been a lot of things said um, about the game, and I disagree with all of them. Should we move on? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um... Okay. So, so to break it down, the Packers got absolutely dissected on defense. Like, Sean Payton was coming in, and he was running on, like, second and very long, because he just knew that you could get seven yards per carry against the pack. Like, the lateral run game, they, once you get him running sideways, it is over. James Winston threw five touchdowns, despite the fact he had, like, 140 yards or something ridiculous like that. But he was inspired by the words of his... Did you see this? He was inspired by the words of his trainer. Uh, I did, yeah. <laughs> it was... Uh, uh, well, I can't remember what he said, but he said, was, be prepared. It was peak Jameis, peaking. <laughs> um, the Packers could not get the run game going, and the Saints, the Saints, to give them credit, their def- their defensive backs were absolutely all over the Packers receivers to the extent where uh, it got Marshall and Lattimore, <laughs> Marshall and Lattimore a significant payday immediately after the game. <laughs> they came to play um, their pass rush was effective. The Packers were starting two rookies on the offensive line, and although they didn't make any glaring mistakes, it just wasn't the same without, obviously, Bakhtiari and Lindsley, which was kind of my fear going into the season. Um, I mean, it got to the point where the combined run defense and and the inability to get anything going was the Packers had two three-and-outs, and that was basically it. It was like 37 seconds left after that, and they were losing what, 17 nothing or whatever it was, so it got out of hand incredibly quickly. And although the Matt LaFleur Packers have 
done a lot of winning in the regular season. They have shown this like penchant for just lying down, and like once it gets out of hand, they just like it's like they're like, oh well, we've lost this game, and and it gets ugly quickly. It reminds um, me of um, was it the regular season Buccaneers game from last year where yeah, uh, Aaron exactly Rodgers like didn't that. get anything going. Uh, the defense well, no, he played. Had that, um, the key and peel thing, remember? Oh, of and course, then, yeah, like, of course. He, that was that was the mul- that was a multiple interception game, and Aaron Rodgers probably has fewer multiple interception games than almost anyone. But like he, what he just, I don't know. He needs to start meditating more, or maybe meditating less, or something. Because clearly, the level of meditation he's doing right now is not cutting the mustard. He just gave up. I, I did like this idea that's like Aaron Rodgers is purposely trying to sink the Packers. I'm fine with that. I mean, if he wants to go. If he can get us a top five pick on the way out, then he's more than welcome to do that. But I must... yeah, I, I mean, the only thing with the Packers is like, there's there's like a couple of things I can look at. Like you said, like the Bucks game last year was very similar, and they rebounded from that fairly well. The Saints last year beat the Buccaneers thirty-eight to three, and the Buccaneers also recovered from that and did quite well. So it's one game to start the season. It's the first in-game action that Rodgers had with the reworked offensive line. Um, but they kind of got their asshole torn apart. <laughs> like, it was just not pleasant. It was an I, unpleasant game. I uh, I saw a particular statistic, which was that um, Aaron Rodgers had the 35th best uh, passer rating um, in the league. And yeah, but only, that there were only, th- there were only 32 passes. teams. So, he's worse. Yeah, well, I'm sure, you know, Jarvis Landry or whoever threw a pass. I don't no, know it, was, it was Trey Lance. Jimmy G both got more. Uh, Justin Fields had more than uh, Aaron Rodgers, as well as Andy Dalton. They both had more than Aaron Rodgers. And then Jordan Love, obviously. So, those are your three backups, or guys that didn't start the game. Um, until Until the Jordan Love experience, the Packers didn't have a drive of longer than 30 yards. You tried yeah, telling me about happened. that. I have Devontae Adams in my fantasy team uh, in three leagues, and oh boy, did he drop a fucking goose egg on my uh, on my leagues because I lost all three of those matchups. Thank you, Devontae. Thank well, you. it wasn't on him. Well, I mean, it wasn't. No, it was on Aaron Rodgers. It was on Aaron Rodgers and the it Packers much... offense and it was, Matt LaFleur. It was, it, it, I honestly don't think it was an offensive problem. It was a defensive problem. Mm. I mean, Aaron Rodgers had two mm. like, boneheaded interceptions, which are uncharacteristic. But, like... Actually, the team defense... scored three points. It's a problem everywhere. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> the, the, also, the problem was that, like, what, like, the time of possession in the first half was, like, 22 minutes to 8. Um, I, I don't know where it really was. But it might have even been worse than that. It was ridiculous. Like, they just couldn't get off the field. And, like I say, like, the Packers just folded. They just folded. And the, the good news for the Packers is that um, they lost in a way that makes you think, like, seems unlikely that this is just how bad they are. Whereas all of the other NFC North teams lost in a way that makes you think, this is probably about the level that they're going to be at. You know, the Packers, maybe their true level is they only lose that game 38 to 27, or 35 to 27. So it can only go up from here. The get right game against Detroit this weekend, though. So if they lose that game against Detroit, then I'll panic. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the good news is is that um, as I've mentioned to Ed, um, 
I guess the same applies to the Packers here. Absolutely everyone in the NFC North uh, lost, as we will come on to uh, with the next game. Um, and there is another 16 weeks from here, so you could still go 16-1 and one if you really wanted. This, oh, this God. week, another functionally... 16 weeks of this? Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget the bye week, Max. Oh, I'm week. looking forward to that, actually. I'm looking forward to <laughs> it's going to be a long last dance. <laughs> oh, oh, joy. Right, um, then. Are you guys um, know what you want to know that, or can we move on now? Or? Yeah, yeah, we can um, move on. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers is a dick. Okay, I'm done. Yeah, okay. At least he's vaccinated. <laughs> but you can't vaccinate against being a prick. Um. Okay. So where have we got? We've got we've got Raiders, Ravens, we've got Bears, Rams, and we've got Buffalo Steelers, and we've got Dolphins, Patriots. Oh, we've got Dolphins, Patriots as let's, well. Let's speed run Dolphins, Patriots. Tua okay. looked better than last season. Mac Jones looked fine. Damian Harris had a nice game. The Dolphins executed well. The Patriots had a couple of killer fumbles, which Bill Belichick is not going to be happy about. Uh, anything else you <laughs> saw from this game? Uh, that's pretty much... I'll tell you what. Right then. Um, where to next? Uh, uh, let's help the Ravens game, because that's fresh in the mind. I was going to say, like, do the um, do the two, like, SNF, MNF games as, like, the last two. Okay. That's fair. So we'll hit Buffalo Steelers first. Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to uh, leave the call for 15 minutes. I'll come back when we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this you get to express you. your Bills take. Oh, he already has. He yeah, has, I will yeah. take a lap of wonder on that after one week. Because <laughs> I'm like a pretty good. I think we can uh, safely write for Bills this year. <laughs> All right, clip no, this loss season. was representative. It was the season in the microcosm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, the Steelers deserve a lot of credit, but I mean, like I said, I, the, the take that I had was that Josh Allen's going to regress this year. And the reason I thought he was going to regress is because I don't trust him under pressure still. And to the credit of the Steelers, they put him under a lot of pressure. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, the Steelers front seven, we basically, what else can you really say about them? This is a team that um, didn't have Stefan to it, who uh, is going to miss like the first six weeks or whatever. So Chris Warnley was in. Um, it was the first game without Bud Dupree and a lot of the question marks were, oh, how will they fare with... Um, like TJ Watt on one side and then like Alex Highsmith on the other. Uh, it turns out Melvin Ingram is uh, a phenomenal pass rusher still, and uh, Cam Hayward can basically cover for the entire interior D line in one go. Um, TJ Watt had two sacks. Cam Hayward had uh, a sack, fumble recovery. Uh, Devin Bush was absolutely everywhere on the field, like. Pretty much any chance that anyone got to run, Devin Bush was there to bring them down. Uh, 
Minka Fitzpatrick had one of my favourite tackles from a Steelers DB since a particular Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, sorry, Troy Polamalu play against Denver uh, about 10 years ago, which, um, Ed, I sent you the video of because I knew that you would be appreciative of the closing speed in it. It was absolutely ridiculous. And that exact play then led into a fourth and one where the Bills weirdly tried some trick play which didn't work, and then they gave up a touchdown, and then on the ensuing drive, they gave up uh, a blocked punt touchdown. So, like, the Minka Fitzpatrick play, like, on on one hand was just a great play anyway, but what it led to was a complete flip on its head of what had been a very sort of uh, one-sided game in the first half. Like, the Bills were not able to get anything going, Um but the Steelers were even worse at it in the first half. I mean, Ben did not look good in the first half, uh, and he didn't look masses better in the second, but when it came up for time to make like a couple clutch throws, he was able to make them. Um, but offensively, like neither team got anything going. Both defences were massively on top. Um, from Buffalo, I wouldn't take anything against like their offense as of right now because i mean brian dable had one of the worst jobs i've ever seen play calling but i wouldn't say that it was like something that can't be fixed against a team that isn't like phenomenally good at it uh one thing that i do want to say is that um the steelers like cornerback room this year was the main sort of detractor away from our defense and uh, Cam Sutton had one of the best games that I've ever seen a Steelers DB have. Um, Joe Hayden also had a phenomenal game shutting down Stephon Diggs. And uh, the rookie sixth rounder or seventh rounder, Trey Norwood, who uh, was going to be sort of like, I think we drafted him as like a hybrid safety and cornerback. He was absolutely phenomenal. He had some very crucial breakups on like Emmanuel Sanders. He did incredibly well against the tight ends. Essentially, like I couldn't find a fault with any one of the Steelers defensive players. And when it culminates in a victory on the road at Orchard Park, it's pretty much like the perfect scenario. Like I've been critical of Keith Butler, but in the past like three years, the Steelers' defense play calling wise has been fucking phenomenal. So that's sort of my main takeaway, really. Like offensively, both sides will get the opportunity to right the ship against weaker defenses. Hopefully, we can right the ship better. Um, Bills' run defense was absolutely stifling, and our O line did look a little bit shonky. So hopefully, like Najee Harris can actually get some good yards. But he had some nice plays. Um, Devin Singletary had some all right plays, but it's hard to call anything against either offense when both defenses showed up to play and um just fucking delighted really yeah i don't have anything more to add i think that was a very comprehensive summary how old is melvin ingle now i think he's not as old as one might think i think he's only 30 hang on bear with me a second I think he has been a bit prone to injury throughout his career. I mean, we'll see. I I don't know. 
Yeah, like the Bills defensively are quite solid. It's 32. I mean, yeah, 32. So maybe in like the best case scenario, he can write a, a final chapter to his career a bit like, you know, like Cameron Wake or someone like that. But we'll have to see. I mean, I know like, I know it's not exactly a, a groundbreaking take to say that there's only so much you can learn in week one. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, these teams, I think, will have to see because there's trends that could emerge or they could just be blips but we'll we'll see i think ultimately these teams might end up actually around the same sort of place like record wise so one thing that um, just to go back to melvin ingram um sort of and how we'll sort of manage whether or not he's staying healthy i think he was obviously like the lead edge rusher in uh, in San Diego when he was there, and then LA, because obviously he was like a pro bowler and whatnot. He split the amount of snaps that he was on the field with uh, Alex Highsmith like fairly evenly. Like the pair of them were sort of, I think, out of the like seventy-eight snaps that were there for defense, like TJ Watt had like sixty, Alex Highsmith and Melvin Ingram had like fifty. So, like, they sort of split them quite nicely, and I feel like that's probably the best way of dealing with Melvin Ingram's, like, injury-proneness at this point. Like, not treating him as the premier guy, but having him be the complementary piece to what is already a phenomenal, like, front four. I mean, the amount of pressures that were generated, like, the Steelers blitzed once all game. They rushed for 98% of the time, and they still got home that much. Like, that's... The talent on that front four alone is more than enough. Because usually last year, and obviously when like Mike Hilton was there, he would be blitzing quite a lot, and it'd leave us a little bit more exposed. But because we only had four guys at the quarterback at any point, we had seven guys in coverage consistently. So, yeah, hopeful. Just as a bit of analysis there. The, the dead horse has received its flogging. Pretty much. Let's move on. <laughs> um, where do we go now? Bears, Rams? Is that the place to go? I reckon so. Um, I like Matt Stafford. I, yeah, uh, Matt Stafford's really good. Yeah, He didn't really have a, a tough job with a couple of those touchdowns, though, did he? No. It was a lot, there were some busted coverages, but um, I just... Watching Matt Stafford do his job in a team that will actually be able to be competitive at the end of the year is exciting. Yeah. You, you yeah. There's you can you can beat defenders over the top and get a couple of busted coverages, but you can't get a perfect passer rating by accident. Is that what? Did he get a perfect passer rating? One five six point one. I thought it was one five eight point three. Is it? Well, he got damn close then in that <laughs> yeah. case. 156.1 is what he got, yeah. Phenomenal, yeah, man. I'm not surprised like, that he's going to play well because the the offense lends itself to to quarterbacks playing well. You know, like, the Bears, to me, um, on offense, uh, they are who we thought they were with Andy Dalton in there, just, like, not really interesting or good. Um I got so I didn't watch the game. I didn't really see much of them on defense outside of those zone coverages. But 
it kind of makes sense to me that they would possibly be taking a step back defensively because they lost some some good players this off season. So I don't know what what are the Bears really playing for this year until we see Justin Fields like. Uh, let's stop wasting everyone's time here and find out what you have because if they don't play Justin Fields Nagy and Pace are going to get fired probably this offseason so why hang around you know yeah but if if they do play play Fields and he flames out Nagy and Pace are going to get fired this year or if they play Fields and Fields gets hurt then Nagy and Pace are going to get fired there's a lot of scenarios where Nagy and Pace should get fired Let's see whether like or not now. they actually do. They dra- they drafted the guy. He's their guy. They sh- need to show some faith in him because it's just another move that they've made where it doesn't make any sense. Like bringing in Dalton and then drafting a first round quarterback and saying he's going to sit behind him. It never oh, made sense from the start. It's just like don't be stop being stubborn just because you brought Dalton in. To and, be fair, like like let's let's act with some urgency here. Let's act with some desperation, like. Because it is a, it's a desperate situation for them. I mean, all credit to the Rams, and the game was closer than the scoreline indicated until right at the end. But yeah, like I don't need to see any more Andy Dalton Bears. One thing I, I have do a couple just of... want... oh, go on, Ed, just quickly. Just I was going to say I have a couple of points that aren't really as football related as they could be. They're both about SoFi. Number one, the atmosphere seemed a little dead. That's what I found. But the second point was that I thought that the end zone end zone uh, markers were great. I'd love to see them more often. Which uh, I I must admit I wasn't really paying like too much attention to the actual field. But what was go on describe these end zone markers? They just had they were they were a more sort of modern take. It looked a lot more like a college stadium in that regard. Like there were. A lot of care had been taken in the end zones. That's yeah, that's nice. Uh, to be fair, I think they're unveiling. Might as well roll the boat out. Yeah, yeah, and but <laughs> I, I, my fear about SoFi is it's a little bit like you know the Olympia Stadium. Yeah. In for Hertha, like the fans are almost just too far away from this from the pitch. I have a feeling like the reason why it seemed a little dead is because i mean i noticed it as well uh in the ravens uh, and raiders game i think it's just because the cities are still warming to the teams like that stadium will be fine when la cares about the rams and the chargers if la cares about the rams and the chargers like we'll see like you can move the team into la but that doesn't mean that people from la are going to give a shit you yeah. can lead Sean McVay to water. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't make the city drink him in, or whatever they say. I think um, it'll be interesting to see whether the, the Chargers can draw a bit more of a crowd, because they've got a bit more glamour to them now. And, well, I mean, I'm not too concerned about... Yeah, maybe the stadium atmosphere might be an issue, but like, if you think back to like that insane Chiefs game, I don't know if the atmosphere is going to be that much of a problem. Yeah, The NFC West and the AFC West are the two divisions um, that are in control. And I imagine it's not out of their own possibility. Imagine a Rams-Chargers Super Bowl in LA. No one would care, of course, but it would be a cool story. (laughs) I I thought about this. 
I thought about this the other day. It would be quite the quite the year. Mm. A lot of things would have to go wrong for it to happen. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things would have to go right as well. Um, but yeah, one thing I do just want to quickly um, touch upon regarding the Bears' offense is um, I have been very low on David Montgomery pretty much ever since he was yeah. drafted because he, uh, well, he wasn't good for two years. Um, I, apart from like a flash of a game against the very openly tanking Jags. Um, but he looked good in the game against the Rams. He looked really good. Um, and this was like the Rams defense has like Aaron Donald in it in the interior. I thought Jalen Ramsey had like one of his best games since joining the Rams. Um, just quickly mentioning the Rams defense, but like David Montgomery, I thought had a really solid game. Um, my only issue is that he didn't get the opportunity to carry that on because they were then trailing the game from very early doors because of an Andy Dalton pick that then led to a Matt Stafford deep touchdown. Like, the Bears didn't get the opportunity to highlight that David Montgomery was good because they were chasing a game and nobody runs the ball when they're chasing a game. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. He showed a turn of pace I didn't know he had. Yeah. Like, into, like, turning the corner, he was a lot faster. Yeah, and also, like, just his ability to push forward. It, it always just slightly bugged me that to say that he was, like, this slow lumbering power jack, uh, like, power back. Um, or not, like, slow lumbering, but, like, you could sacrifice the speed for the power almost for David oh, Montgomery. But he was not good at the power side of it either. The couple years like i didn't i didn't see anything that made me think like that guy will be able to get three yards on nothing um whereas he definitely was able to power through for extra yards all game against the uh the rams when he was actually touching the ball so yeah just a little bit of praise for the bears offense which is weird coming from me maybe it's a brand new year 2021 <laughs> Put Justin Fields in, you fucking idiots. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll move on to the last game. Yeah, let's put a bow on this bitch. Oh, Ravens at Raiders. And... What a weird game. What a What a weirdly entertaining but strange game. Like, I feel like most games that... Most games that go to overtime feel like they are games where neither team has looked good enough to come out on top. And usually there's like an element of like almost looking like they're trying to lose. But this one in particular felt like two teams that were trying to lose. Yeah, I mean, the most circuitous thing was the fact that the Ravens were trying to use Lamar as a drop back passer. Why are you doing that? It's Lamar. Like, that was the thing that got me like... Play to your strengths, Greg Roman. Like you had this, you had this counter bash running game, and granted, teams were starting to wise up to it. But it doesn't mean you have to put Lamar Jackson under center for forty percent of the snaps. Like it's just not who he is. Like that was that was my biggest takeaway from this game. Yeah, I, just, I was getting so frustrated with the Raiders. Play, sorry, the Ravens play calling. It and it just made. I felt like it made Lamar Jackson look worse because he's not good enough 
at actually throwing the ball to... He, he didn't have a terrible game passing the ball. Like, he had some nice throws, but like, why why bridle your own potential? Why limit what you can do? When we know that Lamar can change a game entirely running the ball, like, it yeah. doesn't really make any... Like, do you, yeah, like, you're right, the, the people were trying to... People have got a bit more of a bead on it, and Greg Roman's been in situations in the past where, you know, his offense has been figured out, and maybe he's a bit afraid of that happening again. But like, until you start performing badly, why change it? You know, don't if it's not broke, don't fix it. Like, and yeah. I'm I'm not being funny, but like, with how the Raiders actually reacted to the run in this game, like, uh, was it Tyus Montgomery? Uh, Tyson. Oh yeah, Tyson. Tyson. Tyson Williams. Uh, Tyson Williams, him? sorry, Tyson Williams. I was thinking of Ty Montgomery, who I know that was in the Ravens' backfield a three year, uh, a few years ago. Uh, Tyson Williams, like, he was very much no-name to me, and he was able to bust off a lot of big runs. Latavius Murray had, like, a pretty good game. The interior of the, Ra- uh, of the Raiders' defense will allow runs through the middle, and it just almost felt like if they played back to the strengths of the Ravens of old, they would have been, like, absolutely fine. Perfectly fine. Like, Jackson's, like, lack of passing accuracy for a lot of his dropbacks wouldn't have been there because he wouldn't have been, like, dropping back anywhere near as much. Like, there was a lot of overthrowing from both him and Derek Carr. Like, neither of them seemed to have touch on their throws for, like, three quarters. Um, Derek Carr throws that well, though. Oh, what? Yeah, we know who Derek Carr is. Like he won't play well all well, the time, but yeah, they'll play quite well at times. And yeah, yeah. But... Towards the end of the game, he did bring. I mean, the the Raiders at one point were down fourteen, aren't they? So yeah, he did quite well to bring him back. But I think the story for me is probably the Raiders defensively were able to get into uh, Lamar's face quite a bit more, um, which is very promising for them because that's something that like the last few years their pass rush has been totally lacking, but. Yeah, Max, Max Crosby yeah. had a great game. Cleveland Ferrell was inactive, which, I mean, we already know that maybe Cleveland Ferrell was not going to have a great career in the NFL. Um, Carl Nassib uh, had a big play, didn't he, at the end of the game, which was which was great to see. Yeah, well um, done, Carl. If, if, the, if the Raiders can have a competent defense, I mean, Josh Jacobs wasn't 100%, but Darren Waller was... He kind of went nuts, so... He if went... they can get those two guys going and Derek Carr just plays fine, then they can, you know, stay afloat minimum in the AFC West and, I don't know, yeah, maybe get a wildcard spot. Darren Waller's stat line would have been way more impressive if Derek Carr hadn't thrown the ball behind him like five times on, on crossing routes, by the way, because Darren yeah. Waller had a lot of yardage in front of him on like three great drag routes right across the... Uh, across the middle of the defence. Patrick Queen wasn't quite able to keep up with him, and every single time Derek Carr threw it behind him and you just saw Darren Waller's hand like have to extend all the way back to just bat it away from a Ravens like linebacker or DB, and whoever was covering Darren Waller. If it had like a little bit more touch on it, Darren Waller could have easily like eclipsed 150 receiving yards from this one. If you told me that Derek Carr just forgot what it was like to play in front of fans and got a bit scared, I would probably believe you and just yeah. took him a while to acclimatize to that. That seems like it could be a Derek Carr thing. Yeah, but this yeah, game... to give him credit, he did he did close that well and he 
the I mean the Raiders should have really put the game to bed a lot earlier in overtime if not for that. This game the featured the comedy play. play of the week as well. Which the, was the you... Jones touchdown. No, not the Zajo touchdown, although zero blitz in overtime, what are you thinking? No, um it was the the car pick where it sails through Sneed's hands. Bounces straight off the face mask of a Ra- of a Ravens defender up into the air and is caught by what's his face? I can't remember. But yeah, it was a it was a blooper. Yeah, that one just the, a donk straight off his helmet. The Raiders actually had a couple of like uh, clown ball moments. They also when they were trying to sort of line up to kick a field goal in overtime, like a pretty long field goal anyway. I don't know why they didn't just try and go for it on first down, like. They probably should have done. Like it ended up working out for them in in the end, but they lined up in a field goal formation with nine seconds left. Like they only sent Daniel Carlson out with nine seconds left on the play clock, and then it immediately ended up as a delay of game. And it's like, what a stupid delay of game penalty to have to take. Like, is jo- is John Gruden genuinely a moron? Well, he died in this game, but he came back to life and then he died again. <laughs> According to him. Really. Oh, cool. That was the second best part of the week after Jameis's ramble about his trainer. But yeah, and in, in, I think if I think obviously the Raiders won the game, but I also think that they can feel better about themselves just because although you can apportion quite a bit of the blame to how the Ravens played in previous years, this wouldn't really have even been a contest. Yeah. Like it would have just been a blowout. Um, the Raiders. Well, we know they start strong. We won't really learn if they're a different team until, I don't know, week 10 or whatever. So let's see how it goes. But they're, they're good players, played well. Um, yeah. what, more, what more can they hope for, I suppose? So, Max, give us a summary of how you feel. Dead inside. Tom, give us a summary of how you feel. Reasonably fine. Ed. I was thinking more like sort of like seasonal. Like I'm so happy that the season's back. I don't feel oh, dead yeah. inside, even though oh, we lost. Well, I'm jazzed. I feel like it's mid-September. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is. Which well, you know, which... I am. I am absolutely delighted to have football back, and and it is great to be back doing this every Tuesday for 18 weeks. And every Friday. And every Friday we're going to be doing the preview shows. We missed it last week because my mouth was on fire. But this week we'll be coming at you twice every week. The fire has been quenched. 36 (laughs) episodes of this fucking podcast before we even hit playoff football time. It's perfect. By week 15 I'm just going to be like, this team's shit. This team's shit. This team's good. Can we move on? (laughs) I mean, yeah. That's week Actually, it might be like that next week. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, just a quick thing before uh, before we fully close out. Um, as everyone is well aware, we do our weekly predictions in a uh, little league thing. I won the uh, predictions last uh, last year. Max, in his first week of these predictions, takes the win with a ten six uh, week score. I mean, the scores accumulate. Ten six. So, so yeah. Congratulations, Max. You finally have... I finally was right on this podcast. Yeah. And <laughs> and Sam wasn't horrendously out of uh, out of the realm either. Like, Sam usually ends up with, like, 5 and 11. 
but eight yeah. and eight for Sam. He would, have been, he would have had a winning record if we let him change his answer on the Ravens Raiders. I know. <laughs> oh, so many things went wrong for Sam. But, well, congratulations, Max. And, uh, yeah, we will be back next, fr- well, this Friday, but you'll hear this episode in the week. You'll hear this episode on before Saturday. Friday. <laughs> you'll, he- you'll hear this one before Friday and you'll hear the next one hopefully before the Sunday's games kick off. Anyway, thanks for listening and we'll see you later. Much love to you all. We love you. Bye!